Demons Discuss, take 20, the one with the kingmaker. Welcome to Demons Discuss, the unofficial podcast about the All Souls universe and the topics that orbit it. We're your hosts, Angela, Jean, and Valerie. I'm Valerie, and with me, as always, is Angela and Jean. Hello, ladies. Hello, everyone. Hello. And today, our topic is about the one, the only, Philippe. Yay! <laughs> Mucador, yay! I know. We can't wait until Shadow of Night to get to it, so we had to have a special episode just for him. I know. Plus, we're priming you up, you people, to get ready to get into those chapters. We love that book. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling we could almost do this episode on Philippe and still do another episode in the future, just because it's just so much. And not because we have so much, but there's just different thoughts that constantly pop up about him. You think? <laughs> yeah, it's true. All right. So um, we have discussed her emails. This is from Root. She says, so I'm going to start with my thoughts on Philippe in Shadow of Night. We already knew Philippe was one of a kind, but in Shadow of Night, we really got to know him. The strong, brave man willing to do everything we- he could to protect those he loves. It was terribly hard and at the same time amazing to see Matthew and Philippe. We could feel Matthew was going to be in trouble with his father again. And when he told Diana his secret. I can only imagine how hard it must be to have been Matthew. Philippe is someone you would find yourself attracted to and falling in love with very easily. The way he protected Diana, making sure she was a Declaremont. I always cry when Diana and Matthew have to say goodbye. It's such a hard chapter to read, and later when Isabel finds his little note. All in all, Philippe is an amazing character, and I hope to find out more about him in future books. I agree. That was Root, and I have Kate. My thoughts on Philippe is that he's the ultimate CEO and put Diana through a medieval executive training course slash employment interview. When she arrives, he's not trusting of her and sees her as basically an applicant to being a senior vice president to the Declaremont Corporation. At first, he's not sure if she's wanting the role just through marriage and will be be a satellite member of the family or she's going to be a full member. He also realizes that Diana isn't aware she's even applying for this role. He essentially puts her on probation to see how she'd do in the position and testing her loyalty to the DCC brand. That's an interesting perspective. It is. It is. When uh, you say DCC, that's Declaremont, right? That's what we're assuming. Declaremont. I think she's saying Declaremont Corporation. She does go on and enumerates a checklist and, and goes through some details, but given how, how many discussers we have participating now. I wanted to pass this along to you so you could uh, bring our next discussor's points across. Yeah. All right. So our next discussor is Angela, not our Angela, but our discussor Angela. And uh, in her email, she says, this is just a portion of it. In Shadow of Night, when Philippe hugs Diana, she tells him she'll always find a way to hold his hand in the darkness. And then he tells her there's no other way because she is in his heart. And then she's got a little emoji here. I'll describe it since we're on a podcast. Sad face with a tear coming down and she wrote sniff <laughs> sniff. <laughs> I love going back and searching for answers in these books each time we find so many other things we might have overlooked the last time. You girls rock. Thank you again. Cannot wait to see your smiling faces in NOLA. Angela. And thank you, Angela. Yeah, thanks to all our discussers. Oh, and we have one more. We have a voicemail from Patricia who has become a pioneer on our own because she's the first one to use speak pipe. Yay! Yay! So let's hear from Patricia on Philippe right now. couple of thoughts on Philippe. Uh, Philippe is described as the lion, which is kind of amusing when Diana is considered also the lioness. 
He's very to the point kind of guy, very perceptive, like a police officer. He likes that Diana is to the point and compact minimalist in how she tells her stories. Philippe is also someone who's very loves rituals and is very prone to uh, making sure that Diana follows that. And also that's why he knew right away that she was from another time. And it's interesting to me that they felt that him and Diana smelled different. So you have to wonder if our modern times, you know, the stuff we're doing to our bodies, maybe we smell like illness if we were to time travel. So uh, Philippe, very uh, sort of bossy man, but smart is my first thoughts and someone to listen and pay attention to. Okay, demons, love your podcasts. Uh, keep up the great work and look forward to hearing the next one. And thank you, Patricia. Thanks for using SpeakPipe. Thanks for trying that out for us. She said it was incredibly easy to use, by the way. Yeah, the only problem is it only gives you 90 seconds. So it's probably best to get your thoughts in order, push record and blurt it all out because she had to send it in like <laughs> like four different recordings. But we got you. We got you. If you need to send it in more than one recording, that's fine. But thank you, Patricia, for trying that out for us. And also everybody who has sent us a voicemail and has sent us a speak pipe message. We really appreciate you. And our discussers, we appreciate you. If you want to use this feature, it's available to you. And I'll give you the phone number later on in the episode. However, I'm done bribing people to get on, to get on a record. I don't think we can afford it <laughs> between the postage and everything. So that's Well, the it. people who wanted their, their loot, they got on it. They did it. We appreciate it. And now they, they blazed the trail. Yes. They blazed the trail. Now you see how easy it is. Who's pouring? Me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize it'd be so loud. <laughs> you can't deny okay. a demon her coffee. <laughs> All right. Sorry, listeners. It's been a long week. That's gonna get, it's gonna totally get edited out. No one's gonna hear that. <laughs> Damn, I thought it would be a good edit. <laughs> or I'll leave it in. Fuck it. <laughs> That's our pouring coffee sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so with this episode, we have an outline because it's not outlined neatly like the chapter episode. So here are the points of this outline and how we're going to proceed through. All right, so point one. Philippe at head of the family. Point two, charismatic leader. Point three, Philippe as Hercules. And that's it. And that'll be the end of this discussion. So let's start with Philippe as head of the family. Philippe as head of the family. I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory in a way. He runs it like a military order, really, tr really and truly. He's got assignments for everyone mm -hmm. in a very simple chain of command and a lot of rules. Finding out about him is like a blooming flower. You know, you hear about him in A Discovery of Witches. You don't know the magnitude. You actually meet him in Shadow of Night. And then even more in The Book of Life, you see the, the flower come in full bloom. All his planning, all his, you know, all the scheming he's been do doing over the centuries. And that it's, it's not even done. I mean, that's just a tip of the iceberg. Yeah. yeah. It's so funny. He set the pieces in place to continue after he left, mm -hmm. which is just diabolical if when you think about it. It's crazy to have to have that big scope of what's going on around 
guide you and keep it all moving after you leave. Mm-hmm. Well, and then you look at the children of his that we know about, the ones the ones that have survived and the ones that he've, he's lost. And then you wonder which ones we don't know about. Right. Right. Because he seemed to have a very long range plan about who he turned. Yeah. I was, yeah, was going to say it's not uh, by chance. It's very selective and it's very exclusive. Um, and it's not it's eclectic, but not like a cabinet of curiosities. It's for a reason. It's for a purpose. And, it's, and you have to be worthy. Well, here and uh, this just is popping in my head right now. Remember how when he gave Isabel the choice of whether to turn Matthew because he, he wasn't about to do it. Mm-hmm. And her, I think her turning Matthew was somewhat rooted in sentimentality. I think the same thing can be said about Baldwin and Philippe. I mean, Philippe turned Baldwin because he felt a kinship with the guy and he just right. liked him. It wasn't necessarily just a strategic turn or, hey, this is an asset I need and he's dying and I don't need him to die right now because the timing's bad kind of thing. Right. It was just like, I'm going to keep him around. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's telling to be cut from the same cloth yes. that they, he wanted to have that longevity with someone who he liked and could have around. It would be useful also. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, it's beyond that. And, and it's, felt it's like him. It's almost like an emotional child of his blood. Yes, right. You know, he yep. he takes after his father like a human child would. I agree. Even though the genetic uh, machinations are different. I don't think a lot of I readers agree. see that, though. I think oh, they no. um, they totally overlook it. But it is told to you the first time we meet Baldwin. He is cut from the same cloth as Philippe. So basically, when we witness Baldwin and his actions, we're seeing a younger version of Philippe, a less, a less experienced, the way, yeah, less experienced version of Philippe. Somebody with, you know, a few centuries under his belt, but he's not there yet. So if you can imagine Philippe in Baldwin's shoes years and years, years prior with that same mindset, then maybe people would have a little more empathy for Baldwin. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, it does. Uh, people gloss that part over and I well, and not, don't think they should. Not to get into Baldwin too much, but, you know, of course, Renaissance court life is ruthless. Medieval times are ruthless. Being in Roman times, that is brutal. The capital B. Yeah. So that's probably the closest time period to, to Philippe's because they always pair the classical, you know, Greek and Roman. Greek and Roman, um, yeah. That are the most alike. And so my point to that was how he behaves today. I mean, to grow up in such brutal times, I mean, that still carries over to modern day. I don't think he's ever going to shake that. No, no. No. And I don't think Philippe wanted him to. No, no. And I don't think he comes across many situations where he has to act like that in modern day because how many times is someone going to bring home a witch that is singing the blood song so of your dead dead father it probably has never happened before so his reactions were very raw (laughs) yeah i'm sure in the finance world he never has to resort to that that type of fixing (laughs) well yes and no because if he's running a hedge fund and he's got to run herd on a bunch of uh, analysts and traders. I'm sure there's a lot of people who worked his last nerve, just like his brother Matthew was doing, but not to this extent. No, I'm sure he's got people for that, though. Exactly. <laughs> to take care of yeah. that. Yeah. Yes, people. <laughs> uh, so, like, back to Philippe, though. The children we know of, we know of the three sons. I mean, two of them are the dead. ones that he, yeah. two of them are dead, and we know of the three daughters. And who we, we haven't met, really got yeah, to Yeah, we know met that one. Well. They met 
mention a second one. And a third. In the third book. Yeah. No, they mentioned the second one being, you know, showing up to Matthew's party in the third book, but we never got to meet her or the other one. Uh, it's like, uh, Varen, Freya, Freya and Stasha. And they're all scary. And even after Philippe, I mean, they all had their own roles. One was the temptress, one was a spy, one was this, that. And even after Philippe is gone, they seem to keep the peace for the most part out of respect, out of pure respect for Philippe and his memory and what he would have wanted. Yeah. Yes. But it's funny how just like siblings, they do throw things up in each other's face. Well, you, I mean, when Matthew says to Varen, you know, well, you, does Ernst know about what you did? You know, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's like right. they did their roles, but right. they still will throw it up in each other's faces. Yeah. yeah. And the way she calls him Wolfling. Yes. Right. With such derision. <laughs> well, I mean, he, uh, the thing about Philippe was he s- seemed so honorable and noble and everything, but some of the dirt he had to do to keep the family running and keep the Knights of Lazarus running, it's not so pretty. And I find that in most organizations, there's going to be an ugly part that I guess PR wise, it would be terrible. But <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that whole thing with Gallo Glass when he had to watch Diana. That's kind of that if that's your assignment. That was horrible. How, how, <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know. But it had to be done. It had to be watched by someone. And if you're thinking like Philippe, he is thinking like, okay, who's the best person to watch this? Watch this lady. And it's going to be Gallo Glass. Yeah. yeah. But on the other <laughs> hand, I think it's self-selected because Ma- Matthew kind of set that whole thing up because with time walking, he wasn't even anticipating Gla- Gallo Glass getting involved with the whole right. being with him in Chester thing. Yeah. So I think that that may have been, seri- well, a really ugly, bad sort of serendipity for <laughs> Gallo Glass <laughs> getting that job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how torturous for him. However, who's going to be a better guy to watch after her? I mean, he obviously cares for her. Well, okay. Let's leave that alone until another that's discussion. That's <laughs> entirely. Let's yeah. not get off on a tangent. Yeah, but, yeah, but yeah. In one respect, it does play into the role of Philippe as the head of the family because he does what every grandfather does. He cuts slack for the grandchild for the same behavior he's all over a child for. Because yes, Gallo yes. Glass doesn't oh, behave gosh. any better than Matthew does, but Matthew gets all kinds of grief for his behavior, whereas Gallo, oh, you know, he's upset about his dad. He, he can just wander off and whatever. Right. So, I mean, we do have, even Philippe's an indulgent grandfather. Yeah, I can see that. I agree, yeah. I don't know if Isabeau is quite so much, at least with Gallagher. It doesn't seem like it. An indulgent grandmother? Yeah, maybe not. With Gallagher, but... Yeah. She seems a little bit with Marcus, though. Yeah. I mean, he, he runs her errands just like Gallagher ran Philippe's errands, and... That's true. She seems to be a little indulgent with Phoebe. Well, and the other right. thing, I think maybe Isabel relates to Marcus's wild streak. Right. At least when he was younger. And he is of her favorite child, Matthew, too. Yes. That's true. So right. maybe maybe there's a connection there that she feels maybe not with Gallo Glass. But Gallo Glass is very lone wolfy, so that makes him a little bit hard to get close to. I would think yeah. as a family yeah. member. Here's what I mean: as, as we're talking about family, the weird thing is, at least in the fandom, it seems like the lone wolfy ones have attracted the biggest fan following. Well, yeah, Gallo Glass and, and Matthew. Yeah, because they're the ones with all the mystery attached to them. Well, not so yeah. much Matthew anymore, but Gallo Glass. What do we know about his life besides that he's huge child? Not a whole lot. Waste, so I mean, there's and a, he wasted four hundred years pining after. Diana not getting laid. Oh, <laughs> oh wait, we promised we'd save that for another episode. 
Back to Philippe. Why did Philippe let him do that? Let him do that? Yeah, I mean, the pining part of it. Philippe had to know. Oh, yeah. I totally believe Philippe knew. And I felt like um, I remember discussing this when the Book of Life first came out. And I thought about it. And from a leader standpoint, he had to make an executive decision. It was imperative that Diana made it through this as unscathed as possible. And there is nobody better to do it than Galloglass because of his feelings. And as cruel as that was to Galloglass, it had to happen. And Philippe just, you know, took a measurement and looked at his risks and rewards there and and said, well, I'm going to have to do it. Well, and I also wonder, he didn't have a heck of a whole lot of choices either. No, no. he had no. He didn't. It was no. narrowed down just from Shadow of Night. It wasn't really. I mean, he pined for Diana for four hundred years, but he really didn't have to watch her that long. At least that's in vampire true. time. Yeah, that is true. Although it had to be kind of creepy when she was a little girl, but that's just me. Right. I think he compartmentalized a lot of that because remember when he said, "I call you Auntie, so this way I can keep the right mindset." Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So I think it's the same when she was a child and because that would be weird thinking about it. I know. I know. So back to Philippe Philippe. as the head of family. So what do do we think? He settled in the Claremont Ferrand uh, area of France and started his empire or continued his empire. That's where he called home base. Yeah, and I think he called. I think he was using that kind of as a home base long before that. I think that probably stems back to when he turned Baldwin at the very least, or at least scouted it out. Because it, when you and this even segues all the way back to uh, Philippe as Hercules and coming forward is there these connections to that area of France just keep popping up through uh, Julius Caesar, through Hercules, mm-hmm. through uh, ley line. I mean, discussion of there's a Hercules ley line that goes through. The Avirn, and there's my bad French. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the, uh, the, the, there is a myth that talks about the creation of the Pyrenees Mountains, which is only maybe 150 miles south or so from Clermont-Ferrand, and so it's interesting that there would be Hercules myths very close to that uh, area, area where Philippe is, has settled. Yeah. So, so again, the myth is based on what the stories people told about Philippe is what we're gathering yeah. from that. Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. But I mean. Okay, as a as a family guy, the other thing I found interesting is how he brought in all the creatures in the family, which we saw at Subtours, and uh, especially with the uh, Twelfth Night Party. Yes, and how d- indulgent he was with all the kids and the feasting, and he was pretty much a jolly family guy too. In addition to being a ruthless monarch, in a way, I mean, yes, he's a right, kingmaker, right. but he's also the monarch of his own little kingdom. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and unofficial head of the village too. I mean. He really took care of them, mm-hmm. and and he didn't want them to fear him. He he wasn't going to harm them. I think and, and made them feel welcome. And the way that he let Christianity take root and worked with the village priest and. They did all the ceremonies to honor all of the religious traditions mm-hmm. for the wedding, which I thought was very perceptive of him. We go back to the whole Her- Hercules thing, the use of his name at the temple for the pre-wedding ceremony with Diana. Yes. I mean, yes. Mm-hmm. what an amazing clue for Deb to drop. I mean, it is. with two it words, is. she opened up this whole backstory and world. And I just, were we on that Reddit? Was it a Reddit conversation we were on, Angela? It, no, I it was, Book that, Nation. Um, it was Book Nation. Book Nation on SoundCloud, yeah. Yeah, and um, when Deb explained how she wanted Philippe to be the archetype of a hero, like a capital H hero. Right, classic. Yes, mm-hmm. and, and picked 
Hercules as that hero, which is kind of neat because if you look at his whole uh, story, Hercules doesn't have an easy time of it at all. No, he doesn't. I mean, so to can be you kind of summarize oh. for those of us who are not familiar? It starts out that he is the illegitimate child of Zeus with all that entails. Basically, Juno not being pleased about your existence is a big one. Mm. She cursed him. Not only did she curse him, she cursed him to the point where he murdered his family and she drove him mad. And that's where the labors come from. The 12 labors uh, are him making amends and trying to find his way back to sanity. So, And Juno and was then, uh, the, um, the wife Zeus's of Zeus. W- yes. It, it's yes. Hera in Greek Her- mythology. Hera, and- Hera in Greek and Juno in Roman. Roman. Right, right. Sorry. Since we're saying Hercules, it's like, that's Roman. And I'm right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but which, which is even more interesting because in Greek, it's Heracles. Yes, so that is. He, uh, he actually honors the goddess who hated him the most in his name. <laughs> so go figure that out. Yeah, Zeus, Hera, by the way, happy Valentine's Day. I made a mistake, but I'm going to name my kid after <laughs> After you. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Oops. I made a mistake. Or surprise. <laughs> yeah. Yay. And she says, well, this is how I feel about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And then in the 12 labors, that's how he runs across uh, Artemis, the goddess. The go- our, our goddess. Yes. Capital G goddess. Right. Right, uh, right. He does a task for her, doesn't he? No, no. He was doing the task when he accidentally injured one of her deer. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. The Serenian, I was thinking of the lion. Yeah, the Serenian hind. Hind, hind. I'm not sure. Yes, yes, yes. But, uh, and that's where the arrow comes from. The magic arrow <laughs> that he ends up handing down to Diana is is rooted in that myth as well. And the arrow of Her- Heracles also comes through the story into the Iliad. Because that is the arrow that ends up... He Getting, uh, Achilles in his heel and kills him. Right. So Deb was very canny when she made her choice. Yeah. Very, very I, canny. I believe that in her reply to your question about that, she, of course, did a lot of research. When she met Hercules through her, I think she had a, someone who she was researching with who was informing her, she, she knew that was the one. Almost like Diana, he, she knew that was the one. Yeah. Right. I mean, and, and then you think about it, I'm curious to know what his whole hero's journey is because Deb has used that, I hesitate to say format because it's more than a format, but uh, right. that cycle with Diana, and it makes me think that Philippe has gone through a similar cycle, and it's not necessarily the same one that Hercules does. So I'm just, I'm dying to see more of, more of Philippe's journey. It right? might be a, a, a lesson in how myths are formed, and sometimes, you know, they go sideways depending on the storyteller. Yes. That makes sense. Sure. Well, yeah. well and they, they, they blow up generation after generation. They get bigger and bigger. Well, yeah. even, and the thing is, even with our research over the years with all of our little Easter eggs and stuff, you can find three and four versions of any myth out there. I mean, mm-hmm. the, even the versions of the 12 labors of Hercules, there's always little variations in labor to labor depending on the source you're looking at. Yeah. So it's just kind of interesting, all the interesting stuff you can find. And then the question becomes, okay, which version is Deb thinking about? <laughs> Right, yes. (laughs) Which is a perennial question. Right. So have we talked about um, Philippe's successes and failures with the congregation yet? No, we haven't haven't touched on any of that yet. Um, (laughs) I mean, he is the kingmaker. We don't know exactly all his failures, but it sure seems like he steered a lot of, I mean, starting the stuff we, just the stuff we know. He 
had his fingers in every pie, and I think some yes. some of his successes were were actually ensuring the failures of certain factions. Yeah, <laughs> you right. know what I mean. I mean, yeah. three things off of the top of my head that we know just from Shadow of Night. He was on the side of the Lancasters in the War, the Wars of the Roses. He got a broom necklace from one of the Plantagenets. Um, he won right. that clock from King. Uh, I think it was Francis or Francois. Um, you know, he was he was mingling and whining and dining and maneuvering. Yeah, and he and steering. And he upset the Tudors enough that he was persona non grata in England. <laughs> right. Right. So yeah, that's a story I want to hear. Apparently he ruffled a few fe- feathers in Prague. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then even more recently, Deb did drop the hint that they were, this is also another tie to the Auvergne is the French resistance yes. was based in yep. the Auvergne. Also what the Vichy government was as well, but that's a whole different issue. Right. <laughs> right. And he dipped his toes in religion and in government and mm-hmm. anywhere where it was um, uh, profitable <laughs> for the Declaremonts. Yeah. I think, yes, I think it all boiled down to the Declaremonts. It wasn't because he wanted this religion to prevail or this ideology to prevail. If it was most advantageous or profitable for the Declaremonts, that's the side he was on. Well, I think he was yes. also on the side of stability. Yes. 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 Regional stability. Yes. When Clovis gave him the land and the fact he was playing both ends against the middle. And even during Shadow of Night, he was supporting both the French Catholics and the Protestants at the same time, just trying right. to trying to keep a even playing field. Yes. Yes. My boss does that now. <laughs> I mean, I totally <laughs> recognize it. Is it it's good? like, oh, yes. Um, sometimes it ends up ugly, and I always know how that movie is going to end. But sometimes she needs a job done, so she'll say, hey, you're just the person to do it. And then she'll go to another person and say, hey, you're just the person to do that. And she'll watch. And see who does it. <laughs> and, and see who does it to her liking. And the other person mm-hmm. has no clue. And I'm like, I've seen this movie for years. I know how it ends. And I'm like, right. this is what playing both sides against the middle mean. Because hmm. I have never heard that turn of phrase before. It's like, hmm. One of you is going to do my bidding. I just don't know which one. So here are the tools. Get it done. Yeah. Yeah. Figure it out. Yeah. Figure it out. So that brings us to the congregation, kind of, because in Shadow of Night, Isabel goes on about that story, uh, how only vampires as old as Matthew could remember a time before the covenant. Yeah. We also get, uh, was it Francois or Pierre who was making the comment about uh, Philippe never should have made that deal. Yes. When it came to the covenant and the congregation. Yeah. I mean, there's so many little teeny tiny pieces going on. And it's kind of crazy. Yeah. It is crazy. I, I and can't. they're all in different spots throughout different books. And, you know, it's it's brilliant just that you can't put it together until you, I don't know, put everything on the table and try to rearrange it. And the thing of it, the thing is, when we talk about the congregation and the government, that really leaves me pondering is there's lower level vampires within his family who all thought it was a bad idea. Why did he do it? Because he saw something that they didn't. What, what happened? He had well, the big picture versus them who had a piece of the picture. The way I see it anyway. I just I just don't like the fact that everybody is so quick to think that Philippe has all the answers. I don't even think Philippe has all the answers. He is a master of strategy and a master of the long game, but I don't think even he had all the answers. And I don't think he ever gave anybody much of any information other than what snippet he needed they to need- to manipulate yeah. them. Yeah. They knew. I feel like it was part of what Isabeau told Diana. Only uh-huh. tell people what they need to know. So right. I feel yeah. like he followed that same philosophy. He only told them what they 
needed to know. They didn't need the big picture to get a task done. They needed one piece of it. So I don't think he had all the answers to, but the way he saw it, he saw more of the big picture versus everybody else had a piece, had, uh, Mm -hmm. were running tasks for him. And maybe, uh, you know, I don't know that Matthew was as equipped to do the same thing when he took over as the, as the head guy in the Knights of Lazarus. So I don't know, maybe Marcus will do it. We'll see, I guess. I have a question. Was, Hmm. did the Brightborn, was that, that influence the covenant? Yes, I think so. Yes. And and since Philippe held that, Philippe held that child and that's maybe one of the reasons? Yeah, I think so. Philippe had a connection with the goddess. So Mm -hmm. maybe he had that piece of information where he thought, yeah, somebody needs to be on the congregation. And maybe I'm, I'm assigning too much knowledge on him, but I feel like he knew, part of him knew that somebody from the family needed to be on the congregation as soon as it formed. I guess my question is with the congregation, was that an idea that Philippe put forward or is that an idea that came from somewhere else and he had to try and manage a situation? Right, right. The yeah, I was just thinking that myself. Yeah, yeah the latter, I, think it, I would yeah. think. I don't think that would have been a plan that he would have initiated personally. No, I don't either. I feel like he was like, this is going to happen anyway, so I might as well do what I can to mitigate it. I got to get ahead yeah. of this. Yeah, yes. The covenant was the covenant was much older than the congregation and at some point the congregation was formed and Philippe, yeah, like you said, had to work his way in. And it's all yeah. the Catholic Church's fault. <laughs> <laughs> and little, astri- little asterisks to listeners, this is just our speculation once again. This is... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> is what we do. <laughs> is what we do. Yes. <laughs> Demons do what demons do. Do be do be do. Oh, she's gonna sing. Oh, no, I'm not gonna sing. I'm, I'm saving that for lots of absent, and then I might try to sing. Okay, that's okay. my early warning system to cut me off. If I can sing, I need to stop drinking. Oh no, I'm gonna record it first. <laughs> Well, my my early detection is if I get uh, lovey towards my friends, not strangers, but I'll be like, I love you. And then I'm, I should just stop right there. I should go to bed. So if Jean starts to sing, I'd bail. Jean, if I tell you I love you, you put me to bed. Okay. Take you to bed? Put you to bed. Yeah, right. Tie you to the bed to make sure you don't go wandering. Right. I must record all of this. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. So listeners, so, keep an eye out for Periscope late at night during the con weekend. Yes. You may get some treats. <laughs> or not, depending on how you look at it. Uh, yeah. Depending on who you are. Like, oh, yeah. I didn't need to see that. I'm disavowing <laughs> I'm disavowing any responsibility for Facebook Live right now. I'm just going on. Oh, <laughs> do not let me touch that app. Do not. Especially with yeah, no. Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And we could save it for posterity. So we lost our way. No, we didn't lose our way. We lost our way. Where are we? The congregation. (laughs) We are in, yeah, the congregation. The the Catholic Church. And the Crusades. And that wound up with tying Angela down? What? (laughs) (laughs) Right. I don't know. I'm blaming Jabert. I'm blaming all of this on Jabert. That's Jabert's fault. 
Okay, which by the way, he it brings up a good point. He wanted to be in with the Declaremont so badly, and Philippe wasn't oh, yeah. having it ever, ever, ever. <laughs> and 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 uh, Gerbert and the power that he gained as Pope was one of the things that prompted. I think it was Gerbert and uh, Domenico who prompted it because they were both about that same 10th century. Yes, yeah. He was one was Doge and the other was the Pope, and I think they were probably the last straw as far as dabbling in human affairs. Yes, yeah, absolutely. You're right. And you know what? If you spent all that time trying to get into the months too, maybe you not only was a congregation formed because of their meddling in human affairs, but also they were trying to put a kibosh or try to have a, a unified front against Philippe. And Philippe was like, you know what? We're going to be on that congregation too. Yeah, we've got our own seat. You guys can all fight over the rest of them yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> Veto power. <laughs> right. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. This is a democracy of one and the one was Philippe de Claremont. Yeah. There's no way you could have denied a de Claremont a seat on the congregation. I mean, it just you couldn't. No. A, de- a dedicated seat. Right. I mean, to, to make no mistake, it was always one of the three vampire seats was a de Claremont. Period. That end of the story. Yeah. Yep. Did he have the only dedicated seat, though? I wonder. I think so. Because Deb was talking about the election. Because the demons always elected. There was votes for the demons and votes for the witches because when uh, they kicked off... Who did they kick off? Was it... It wasn't Satu. It was... Uh, Peter Knox got kicked Peter off. Peter Knox. Yeah, Peter Knox. I, I yeah. couldn't think about it. But they had, yeah. had to have an election and it ended up being Janet. Yeah. And and with Sydney, uh, Sydney, uh, Sarah always was making the comments about how political she was. And mm-hmm. Vivian as right. well. Right. And that's the one that gave Diana the most hassle. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I think all the other seats were always up for grabs amongst all the different families. Demon and witch and vampire. Witch. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they made the comment about Domenico finally got his seat at the table. Right. And he's been ahead of the family since the 10th century, and he's just now finally getting on the congregation. Right. So that's kind of interesting. It makes me wonder how many other vampire families are out there, too, that he's pissed off so many of them. Well, maybe, (laughs) well, perhaps, you know, Domenico had another member of the family. Maybe he wasn't always the head, you know, like maybe he (laughs) had a father figure or somebody ahead of him before he took over a seat of the congregation. I'm just thinking out loud. Yeah, I mean, Domenico is is such a mystery to me because I still kind of think that he's blood raging myself. I just yeah. have my suspicions about I have my suspicions about that character because of the conversation that uh, Isabel had with him about knowing his mother and I almost some, day, some days I suspect his mother was one of Isabel's siblings who escaped the initial purge and managed to uh, create some children. Kind of like right. happened with Matthew and Marcus's kids and some of them escaped destruction and Domenico may have been one of them. Hmm. That's an interesting it's, theory. Yeah. My other theory is, is that Louisa was, my other theory is Louisa turned him but that's a whole different one. Oh my god that one was intriguing when we were talking about that one years yeah, ago I love that one that that Louisa was his mother and I was like that would make sense and be like that's why Isabel was like what would your mother think yeah well not only that and it would also make sense because Louisa never listened to any of the rules that uh right Philippe that which goes back to Philippe is ahead of the family Louisa was always ignoring everything that he all of his rules and and how he wanted her to behave. And at the end of the day, he pretty much insured her destruction. It was like at the end of the day, I was yeah, like, yeah. dude... 
you don't listen, it's I think, you're done. I think yeah, if she was not banished. for the event with Diana, she I think she would have been given passes to the end of eternity if not for the event with Diana. I think she was just that way. I mean, I think, like, just how they indulge Matthew, I mean, I think they kind of would indulge her too. Like, oh, that's Louisa. But yeah, she tried to kill Diana, so that wasn't going to fly. <laughs> well, I think the other thing with, with Louisa is it kept escalating. Because yeah. even after the thing with Diana, all what Philippe did was exile her. It was kind of like uh, Napoleon. The only problem was her behavior just kept escalating and then she ended up being killed by the humans on the island. The slaves. Yeah. He, he kind of yeah. set, yeah. set her up for that though. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean... I mean, you drop you drop her on an island where you're the center of attention and you have the behavior you have that's only escalating. I think you, you know what the it, end outcome's going to be. Yeah. yeah, he probably was like, well, this might just end her, but yeah, you know, hey, she's, <laughs> she's been warned. <laughs> let the problem resolve itself. Yeah. This yeah. Is, which yes. goes back to his ruthlessness even with his own family members. Yeah. So again, with that timey-wimey thing, when we were first hearing about Louisa in A Discovery of Witches in the Gatehouse, wow, imagine that. It's like the reason why Louisa is dead today is because of Diana. And it's... Right. uh, Yeah. That that time loop is just kind of like, wow. Wow. If you sit down and think about it too much. (laughs) I know. So let's stop. (laughs) I know. Stop. Just stop right now. Let's Let's stop thinking about it. What about the Knights of Lazarus? I mean, Philippe set that up, too. It's like, good Lord. Yeah, yeah. They did. And their uh, merger with the Templars. Yeah, do, now, here's my here's my question. Do you think he sacrificed Hugh to save the Knights to, to protect the organization? Or do you think he just, I mean... Sacrificed Hugh. Okay, so for our listeners, give us the background story on that well, one. And for ba- me, too. Okay. <laughs> for, for, I mean, Hugh died with the Templars when the Templars were executed. The Mm-hmm. Templars were all taken into custody and they faced accusations of not only heresy, but of homosexual behavior. Basically, the, the King of France wanted to get rid of them and get his hands on their treasure because they had become too powerful in their own right. Well, right. Hugh got Hugh got caught up in all of that and he ended up burning at the stake along with uh, the Grand Master of the Knights Templar. That's the reason that Gallo Glass won't set foot in France, even to see his grandfather, is because he felt that Philippe and he couldn't forgive Philippe for not stepping in and saving his father. And I think Fernando's got some of the same resentment going on as well, too. And that's transferred to uh, Baldwin. But my question is, is do you think that... Philippe could have, he made, he made an executive decision and decided to save the organization over the man, even though the man was his own son. Possible. I mean, we've seen his actions before. I don't know. Big picture wise, it's possible. Or, uh, maybe it was a, a bit of risk management because going in to save I, him would expose a lot. Right. I think it's definitely possible. I mean, there's no sentimentality involved in his decisions, just like in Shadow of Night when Matthew and Philippe were fighting in the hay barn and he found out, they realized, figured out that Matthew was the one to destroy him and he didn't care how, why, when he knew that was his fate and it had to be done for some reason, he figured. Yeah. So he just proceeded. Well, I think part of that is yeah. because of his, his Greekness. I mean, yeah. because it's dest- destiny, it's Greek, fate. The fate, you know, the fates cut my thread off when they cut their thread off and there's no changing it. Except yeah. it. Yeah. And, and and the ruthlessness also comes back to the whole Baldwin thing one more time because it's like everybody blames Baldwin for Q's death and the question becomes how much of it was just Baldwin doing 
what Philippe told him to and not necessarily being an independent actor contributing to that outcome. It seems to me that Philippe used Baldwin a lot as the, hey, you, this is the bad guy. And the muscle, you mean? Not even the muscle. It's like, okay, he's the one who's going to face, you know, absorb all of the ill feeling about things. Mm-hmm. The right, blame. Right. And, I, right. and it's a role I think that Baldwin accepted. The bad cop. It's kind of like Matthew. Yeah, it's like Matthew having to be the assassin. I think Baldwin Baldwin was cursed with the role of the bad cop. Yeah. I, but, I, I mean, I you guys have heard me say this a hundred times, but I always compare Baldwin to Colonel Jessup in A Few Good Men when Tom Cruise's character is grilling yeah. him and he's like, you can't handle the truth. You can't make the decisions I make. And, yeah. you know, yeah. I, but I do them for you. That's a good comparison. Somebody's got to do it. And I think, I think part of the problem is, too, is you never really see the balance between the two of them working together, which is another reason I think uh, Baldwin's not necessarily perceived right. as a whole, a balanced character. Yeah. Because you truly have to see the interaction with Philippe in order to get it. You Where you see the interaction between Matthew and Isabeau, so yeah. you get the sense of the favorite child and you, you get right. get more of a sense of balance. But with Philippe, you don't necessarily see him with his favorite child, so you don't get you don't get a whole picture of Philippe either. Mm-hmm. Especially a favorite child who is involved so deeply in the Knights of Lazarus and the con- and then we find out the congregation. He made him be the appointed member to the congregation after he's gone. He entrusted yeah. that job to him, one that he really didn't want and didn't think he'd be good at. Yeah. Right. Yep. And that was that was another thing with Philippe. I mean, he was such a charismatic leader, he got everybody to do the jobs they hated the most. That's right. true. Exactly. I mean, yeah. It's like, are you going to say he... no to Philippe? No. <laughs> no. I guess I got to do it. And not only that, I'm I'm going to do it well because it's Philippe. Yes, yeah. exactly. You don't want to let him down. Yes. And right. I'm sure he was the ultimate manager, you know, coming in with the compliment, dropping the bomb in the middle and then exiting with another compliment. Yes. <laughs> and, you're, and, and, you, and you end up thanking him. Yes, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity to redo this whole project because you didn't like the font I picked. <laughs> right. Because you're being irrational, but I really want to please you, so I'll do it all over again. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Crazy. I Let's know. talk just a little bit about Philippe, Philippe and the Crusades. I mean, the Declaremonts really had a hand in uh, that era. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and not, you know, like I said, not because they wanted one side or the other, but they were, you know, with Baldwin and Melisande and even um, the Instagram post that I just did the other day about one of the ledger entries of 40,000 marks going to the Knights of Lazarus. And mm-hmm. that was from Eleanor of Aquitaine. And she was one of the pivotal leaders in the Second Crusade. So it's like it's all tangled and they were a big part of it. Yeah, I mean, all the way through. All the way through. Yeah. 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 I like how they bought the, the first can- that first cannon that went on a ship for the Battle of Lepanto. Yeah. I mean, yep. that revolutionized naval warfare. Yeah. So I just, I mean, I, not that no one else had a say, but I think that that was Philippe's doing, you know, whether the, the dowry for Mary Tudor had to be paid or the cannon yeah. had to be bought. I think that was his, that's Philippe. Mary Tudor needing to marry Philippe. Was it Philippe of Spain that she married? Yeah, Philip of Spain. And uh, I, I'm still trying to figure out his strategy in that because it seemed like Mary's reign just destabilized England rather than right. calm things down. Yeah. Maybe that was a oops. Maybe that was one of yeah. ones we should count on his failures. <laughs> that's, a, that, that's a good thought. And maybe, that, and maybe that's why Elizabeth didn't want him around is because he created all of that trouble with turmoil. Uh, turmoil. Right. She nearly went down even a ball of flames too. <laughs> so. This is true. Which also begs the question, 
<laughs> as far as successes and failures, I also wonder how much, even in that 50 or 60 year period with Philippe, is like, how involved was he with the whole Anne Boleyn affair? Right. Did he have his finger in the whole Mary, Queen of Scots and affair there? I mean, it, it seemed like all around Elizabeth that there was the potential for Philippe to be messing with her destiny, shall we say? Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's like, I could understand the resentment if that's in fact the case. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems like a whole big complicated game of 3D chess that n- no one could comprehend, but it's going on around them and it- just ugh, it's too well, much that, to even think about. But that makes sense because Deb has always said that Philippe is the access that this whole thing revolves around. Yeah. Yeah, she did. And as we sit here and tease all this out, it's abundantly clear that he is. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, what about the whole thing with the Outreamer and the Crusades? What do you guys think about him and his creature homeland? Do you think that was a success or a failure? I don't know. Uh, it seems like almost like experimental, you know, and... <laughs> like an experiment gone wrong? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> It just didn't keep up with the times either. It was not, maybe didn't have as much foresight as it should have. I'm, I'm just wondering if there was maybe he underestimated all the back and forth going on with the humans at the time. Hmm. I don't know that he would have underestimated them, uh, the, the events and everything. I, I feel like mm-hmm. maybe he would have, um, maybe not the events themselves or just maybe the human factor. Right. Because if you want failure in anything, just add uh-huh. a human and add a human to it. So on paper, something could look like it's running. It'll run smoothly. Yeah, that'll work. But once you add yeah. the human factor, all things can go wrong. So mm, I, it's not that he didn't see it. Maybe it depended too much on yeah. human handling of the situation. Yeah, I. that's a good point. And I also, there's elements of sabotage, who knows, from yeah. other vampire families. Yes. That's true. I'm sure that he's fa- he was facing sabotage from other vampire families every time he turned around. And I mean, throw Benjamin into the mix of <laughs> the ultimate saboteur. Yeah, right. oh, speaking of vampire families, gosh, I mean, we totally discounted all those Dracula- Draculesti families in the conversation. Yes. Right. The Bathory's and uh, yeah, yeah, Tepes. This is true. It's kind of interesting. These how are going to they... be some interesting show notes. Let me tell you now. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Bill. <laughs> it's like wow. I'm going to have to find a lot of shit for these show notes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think I have a whole bunch of it put away somewhere. At least as far as the yeah. mythology and whatnot. So readers, you're going to have a lot. Of, well, you will be readers because the show notes are going to be pretty extensive listeners yeah and uh, let me pause here to say if you don't look at the show notes please take time to look at the show notes because it'll help you it'll help you through that's the whole point of them so when we go off on tangents it helps you through and it's another it's another layer yeah (laughs) and with philippe there's probably four or five layers to tell you the truth yes so true what do you think about philippe and his his attitudes towards women leaders i think it predated diana i know oh definitely i mean if we use the eleanor of aquitaine example that predated Diana. And like I said, I, th- I think that he respected more women than men. Well, and even the fact that uh, during different portions of that whole Outreamer experiment, Isabel ended up in charge right. as Melisande. So, I mean, he had no problem putting her out there and having her actually be in charge. And I, I don't think that she was a, a tool 
or uh, I mean, even though she's quote his secret weapon, I really think that she was his equal and he trusted her like the the female version of himself. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't I don't see Isabel being manipulated by anyone, including Philip. No, in fact, exactly. she was the one who was able to find a way to manage him. Even yes, yes. I always saw his regard to females as he saw them as equal. Always, yeah. always. He made three sons. He also made three daughters. Equal. He always balanced it out. So I don't think he had a favor for one sex over the other. I think he had as much respect for women as he did for men. It was just the even person. In the midst, even in the midst of a patriarchy, he did that, I think. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. He understood there were roles that society had people play. So he used those roles as best he could to assign mm-hmm. whatever assignments there were. But it wasn't to take away from the abilities of any of his children or yeah, any of I his mean, family. Even the, temp- even the daughters that acted as a temptress or the spy, he also expected them to use their brains as they were doing it, not just their sexuality. Right. Mm-hmm. Because he's not going to send a man to do it. <laughs> you know what I well, mean? Well, maybe he like, did. <laughs> he could have sent you. <laughs> Depending on the unless target, the guy's, he could have sent you. Unless the guy's gay, you know, it just depended on who the target was. Exactly. Like you said, Gene, it, yeah. a lot of people saw that as sexist. I see it as pragmatic. taking... Pragmatic. That's right. That's a good word. That's an excellent word, I think, for Philippe. Pragmatic. Yeah. Do you think the fact that he let the knights survive the age of chivalry the way he did? Do you think that was a good long, long-term long call? Long after the age of knights, we still had the Knights of Lazarus. Right. Mm. What do you think his thinking was there? I just think he was thinking organizational terms as yeah. far as okay. it being an organization. It, it wasn't necessarily a chivalric, say Sh- it for chivalric. Me. Chivalric. chivalric order. Yeah. By name only. But I think it was it was more, okay, at this point it's we're just gonna run it like a corporation and do our do our deal, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I don't think there was any significance. It just changed with the times. Oh, kind of but like... But he was going to change the name. Like Baldwin did. He went from th- crushing villages to crushing yeah. bank accounts. Yeah. People's livelihoods. Yeah. 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 I think so. I think why disband it? I mean, leave it in that little glass emergency case and the yeah. hammer's right on the side and when you need it, you're, you're, you're calling it. Although yep. I think it, it was really interesting that it took uh, Marcus to actually let women be knights. <laughs> it probably yeah, never came up true. before. Yeah. You know? Well, but here, here's the thing. In world, I would have thought it may have come up during World War II, especially given how many women were so active in the resistance. That's true. But it was also a different time in World War II as well. I mean, uh, I'm thinking strictly based on my experience with the military, females were not allowed to do a whole lot. I mean, typing pools. <laughs> um, yeah, Nurses. that's it. And nursing. Yeah. Oh, and that's the candle, that's so, Mechanics. Because Queen Elizabeth served as a mechanic. Right. And spies. <laughs> and spies. <laughs> and spies. But that was the extent of women mm-hmm. acting in yeah. a, the regular military. So I can imagine yeah. it would be the same for the times. Wasn't Julia Child supposedly a spy? <laughs> oh, no, she worked, for, she worked for the OSS, which was a precursor for the CIA. Really? She's yeah. the, she's the original ba- baker of the file and the cake. <laughs> ah, there you go. <laughs> Perfect. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't know that. I just no, I think, but I think she did work for the OSS towards the end of World War II. Uh, we'll figure That's it out us. when I write the show notes. Yeah. You, you know, yeah. read, listeners, you can always count on us demons to have a bunch of useless trivia facts at our fingertips. Right. We're a lot of fun at parties. 
Trivial between pursuit. the line. Yeah. <laughs> Trivial pursuit, I'm your girl. Yeah. <laughs> so are we good with Philippe? Are we done here? We'll never we're be never done. We're done with Philippe. <laughs> yeah, but. I mean, and, until next time. Until That's what until I said at the beginning. Time. Until yes. next time. Yeah. Until next time, and then we can just really get into the meat of... 1590. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I can't All wait All right. For that. So, so listeners, this ends this portion of the show. And we have a new segment for you. And we're calling it Save It for the Show. And I will explain this because yeah. often the three of us will get to talking and then we figure out that this would be best saved for the show because it would be of interest to you guys, audience. So here it is. Save It for the Show, our very first one. Save It for the Show. Save it for the show. Guys, save it for the show. So what we decided to save for the show, how um, we brought up chapter 10 in Shadow of Night and talked about Philippe's uh-huh. memory being fractured. And the only memories of Isabeau, only mem- the memories of Isabeau was intact. This was brought up because uh, one of our discussers asked us on the Facebook page and wondered why or he didn't see Diana in Philippe's memories. So that's the subject. That's what we started talking about. So let's talk about it now. This fragmented, they called it shattered glass is how they described yeah. it. Wait, Philippe, wait, she, the, the crux though is Philippe wrote the letter and when Matthew took the blood on that day that he wrote the letter, he didn't see Diana. Is that right? Yeah, that's pretty much the crux I of think, the, the question. Okay. Yeah. But I think that chapter of Shadow of Night really explained it where it was his memory was fractured. Now, didn't we yes, discuss yes. that that was, might have been by that witch in yes, the Book of Life? Correct. Okay. Well, here, yeah. okay, here, this is twofold here. The witch, which fractured his memory. So at the end of the day, it destroyed all of Philippe's memories or, or broke up the memories of them from 1590. Right. So you've got Philippe coming forward to 1945. All the past memories go away. Then you've got that year or whatever before he finally succumbed. And on the day that he died, he writes a letter to Diana. And the letter essentially said... Yeah, and, and to about, you can let go of my hand now. But the, the weird thing is, is that which branch... Philippe, Philippe was on a straight line all the way through to his death. Mm-hmm. But right. did the Diana that visited him during that interim period, was she from the branch that we were on in Book of Life? Or was she from sometime beyond the end of Book of Life? Did, did she decide to time walk back in her 60s to give comfort to Philippe? Right, right, right. And the, the Book of Life, I think, kind of alludes to that, doesn't that? Well, With I her, think, I know we have, she says, we, I don't remember doing that. Yeah, and I think that, because yeah. remember, we had all those conversations between the, in the interim period between the two books about how that was going to resolve. And then finally, I think Deb even came out in hinted with the, well, how do you know it may not even have happened yet? Yes, I remember that. She totally. threw, threw she that, that like tidbit out as kind of like food for thought. So it's well, that would make sense actually, because just like yeah. you said, if his if his memories were scrambled and he forgot the Diana in fifteen ninety, there could have been another Diana from another branch, like yeah. you said, in the future that came back, and that's why he remembered her on that day. But the reason Matthew didn't um, see Diana because the Matthew because it, like that said, killed him was glass. on a different yeah, and because the Matthew that killed him was on a different. <laughs> intersecting branch. And, and also and his memories were fractured. Yeah. yeah. Who's to say that all he had I mean he just may have had short sounds like he may have only with the way it was scrambled he may have only had short term memory anyways. Right. Right. And and as Deb always says never underestimate Philippe. There could be things at play that we don't even know about. I yeah. mean I, I picture him fractured
tortured and traumatized and um, just battered and beaten. But you never know. Philippe does what Philippe can do. <laughs> well, and the other thing was, yeah. too, is they said the one thing that, that was a, still a smooth ribbon was his love for Isabel. Yes. So there were yes. portions of his memory that were preserved. And I don't know if this is necessarily true when it comes to how Matthew fed off of him. But I know when we talked about the heart blood with yeah. Matthew mm-hmm. and Diana, that it was more reading emotions than reading bits and pieces of information and thoughts. Right. Is that something that also comes into play when you're talking about analyzing what Matthew knew from uh, Philippe's blood? And, and it's, it's not crystal clear either. Yeah. I mean, even when uh, Champier read Diana's blood, it was almost like, it wasn't like he was watching a movie. He was kind of like a psychic would try to see visions. Yeah. It wasn't crystal clear. And you, t- you have to make sense of what you're seeing. You don't actually know what you're seeing. And Deb has mm-hmm. even said, I mean, Gene, I think you know the, the exact words, but it was something like, it's not an information dump. You don't get like... Yeah. It's like, it's like here's all here's all the stuff in the computer, but you don't have the operating system to sort it out. Yeah. Right. It's just yeah. a bunch of, it's a bunch of bits and pieces of code. So people were picturing like the Matrix where he just plugs in and he's like, I know jujitsu. You know, it's, it's yeah, not, it's, like, it's right. not like that. Right. <laughs> type in, type in here like a- or Google, you know, type in, yeah. type in Diana, and you get all the information. Right. <laughs> or like yeah. in Harry Potter, when when Dumbledore puts his wand in the water, and you stick your face in, and you can see everything. That's not how it is, right? No. Well, and along the same lines is the whole um, the speculation that Isabel knew all this stuff. I don't think <laughs> Philippe told her Jack about no, Diana at all, I, and I don't see any indication that he did. I think a lot of it was Isabel and Mark putting things together on the fly. Yeah, yeah, just taking clues and putting together what they can and speculating and testing out their theories. A lot of intuition too, I think. It was just like, yeah. hmm, what would... I, th- I pictured there was a lot of, what would Philippe do going on in Isabel's head? Yeah. yeah. I think there's there's that and there's also, I think over the centuries her wondering, maybe curious why he was doing some things and then it instantly made sense when it came to fruition. Yeah. Like, that's why he did that. Wait. Now yeah. I get it. Yeah. Here's yeah. the final... We're back to the puzzle pieces. There's the final piece. Right. Yeah. And so. it's again, he tells people what they need to know. Not everything yeah. he mm-hmm. knows. So Well, and then, which also brings into uh, play the fact that people finally started saying, hey, this is the piece I have. Wait, what piece do you have? Yes, right. Yeah. And let's see if we can get them to match. Yeah, it was like the whole thing, even the whole thing about, well, why did they put Matthew in charge of the Knights and Baldwin in charge of the, con- well, in charge of the congregation? What was Philippe thinking there? I mean, even, even out in the vampire public, they were like, what the hell? Right. That's how it had to be, though. Yeah. yeah he had to separate his yeah. factions. <laughs> well, and knowing what he knew, he knew that Matthew would need it. And he knew that maybe Baldwin would say, hell no, if he was the head of the Well, he probably also knights. knew that Baldwin was going to be able to keep us cool and hold off inquiring minds on the congregation just as a matter of protecting the family, if not necessarily protecting Matthew. And Matthew would just mm-hmm. like do something half-cocked like he always does. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. Baldwin is a lot more measured and Matthew is reactionary. And Matthew, long game. As, yeah, Matthew had to be reactionary because it was perfect for an assassin. You know, yeah. you're watching your mark, yeah. you move. Versus Baldwin, he had to sit back and watch and see how this was going to go and make his moves mm-hmm. based on 
on that. So a lot of it is very telling with the personalities. Yeah. I mean, Philippe took huge leaps of faith and he wasn't wrong. No, no, he was not. Well, here's here's my other question. Um, who do you think Hamish enjoyed playing chess with more, Baldwin or Matthew, <laughs> since we're talking long game? Depends on how he was about winning. <laughs> I feel like... <laughs> Um, I think uh, towards the end there, Matthew maybe was getting a little bit better because he wasn't all obsessed with protecting the queen. But I think Baldwin would be a better um, strategist with the pieces. So it'd be more challenging to Hamish. Me speaking for Hamish, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, because you're always going to speak for... I'm going to speak for Hamish. I feel like the the bigger the challenge, that's what Hamish would enjoy. Mm -hmm. Well, chess between Matthew and Hamish always seems to be a tool to get information, to tease threads, to smooth over a story. It, it's not mm-hmm. just the playing of the game. It always seems to involve a conversation where something's unloaded. Yeah, yeah. Help loosen them up. Yeah. Yep. So that was our first save it for the show. Yay. Yep. <laughs> All right. And we have some housekeeping, guys. Housekeeping. I have a message from Steven. Yay. Yay. Hello, Steven. Our discusser in chief says, I just heard you reading my review on Take 18. I forgot that my Apple ID uses an old email address, Bottlehead UK 2002. So you could not know that it was left by this discusser. I added the podcast description to my iPad just to leave a review, but I still download and listen in my car with my trusty iPod touch. Love and demon kisses, Steven. Oh, demon kiss back to you. I love hearing from him. I know. And we have a voicemail. This one is from Angela, our discusser Angela, not our demon Angela. So <laughs> let's hear that. New England Angela. We'll call her yes. New, New England, England Angela. Angela. Yes, yes. And we'll see her in NOLA. So here, this is the voicemail from Angela. Good morning, demons. It's Angela Page from Boston. Did I have a good enough accent there? Because sometimes you can't understand it up here. Just want to say hi. And uh, as you know, Deb is vacationing somewhere in and around New England coastline, which is not too far from me. Um, I haven't spotted her yet. However, we were both at Bridget Bishop's memorial site uh, on the same day and possibly around the same time the other day. But she was lurking in the shadows, probably something like what Matthew would do in Discovery of Witches. Um, but but anyway, I just wanted to call and say hello and uh, say how excited I am about All Souls Con in New Orleans. That's the countdown to who now, 80 days, something like that. Laura had mentioned it the other day. That's about it. Uh, just getting back to my reread again of Shadow of Night and Chapter 11 so I can talk all about Philippe and how much we all love Philippe. Then I got to reread about Baldwin because Jean and I have got to talk about Baldwin from a discovery, which is, I'm excited. Hopefully, I didn't screw up with too much of an accent on this phone call, but I was challenged, so here's my my response. And um, I got to get back to my discussion email, and I will talk to everybody soon, and I'm going to send out my biggest demon kiss that I can to everybody who's listening and be everyone at All Souls Con in September. Bye! So, uh, Angela's talking about being in Salem. We were in Salem, too, Angela. I'm not yeah. sure you knew that. The three of us, uh, well, 
wound up romping around Salem, Massachusetts one day, yeah, doing all the tours, seeing the play. Ate fish in front of you. Yeah, she did. Yeah, my the whole fish thing, the bagels and logs. Well, that's a normal thing, though. It doesn't mm-hmm. ick me out. I didn't have no, to eat it, I, so it's okay. Oh, and we went <laughs> and we went shopping. Yes, we did. We went. Well, we I, went shopping and we took a tour of Salem, and we had the worst tour guide. <laughs> tour guide. So you can you can imagine three demons with their arms crossed foot tapping side <laughs> because he was gi- yeah he was giving us the whole all the wrong information but like best- thomas jefferson thomas jefferson back in 1685 we're like what but here's yeah. the best part one of our earliest demon minions was on the tour with us who happened to grow up in salem and she schooled him the whole time the whole yeah. way she's like that's not right here's what really happened <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It was great. Um, I might post a picture of that. I'll have to get a permission from a whole bunch of people, but <laughs> I'll post a picture of us posing in our witch hats. It was pretty funny. Oh, it was but we wonderful. did visit the memorials. Yeah, the memorials yes. were very solemn. The proctors, the bishops, the house, they were it was it was very moving. My favorite part? You know what it is? It was uh, the uh, bewitched statue. I love that. Oh, I know. It was, awesome. it was so much fun. <laughs> I, and the thing was, we didn't get a picture with it. We just took a picture of it. Of it, right. right. And what did we do the day before? We went to Harvard. We walked around Har- Harvard. Oh, yeah. And, and that, Cambridge that was we did. Fun. We got a, yeah. yeah. We had but Harvard. We got a, st- a statue. We got a picture with the John Harvard statue. And yeah. we had a fantastic tour guide who was, wasn't she a, a cosplaying uh, one? of the first lady, as, first lady astronomers, though. Her character was one of the first lady astronomers, yeah. I think. Oh, good times. And, I'm sorry, back to Salem, we saw Cry Innocent. That was the, the, the play. Bishop play. Bishop play. Yes, that was most excellent. Yeah, reenactment. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And oh, the next day the we went to the museum. And the Cambridge Graveyard. <laughs> that that museum. <gasps> the Isabella Gardner. <laughs> that was the highlight yeah. of the whole trip for me. Oh, we, yeah. and, we've, and we did get a picture all together there. Baldwin's house, as oh, I like geez. to call it. <laughs> <laughs> it well, it it is yeah. modeled on a Renaissance villa, to be fair. Yeah. yeah. And it is full of treasure. So yeah. Ugh. So beautiful. What's your favorite picture out of there? Or what was your favorite thing out of there? Oh, yeah. Hey, uh, help me, Angela. My pronunciation's bad. El, uh, El Haleo. El Haleo. El Haleo. In the Moorish room. The, the Spanish dancer. Is that the, the Spanish dancer? My favorite. Beautiful. I still like that so. one room we, we were in where all the paintings were just hung up. Floor. There was like Turner, little Turners behind the closet door and stuff. Yes. Right. With that really yeah, yeah. nice security. Security guard. Oh right! Oh, oh she was <laughs> peppermint. Pa- no, no, no. Peppermint Patty. No, no, no. The security guard that was stationed in that oh. room was so nice to us, as opposed to the woman who sold us the tickets, Peppermint Patty. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Jean and I named her Peppermint Patty. Oh, she was miserable. <laughs> she looked like Peppermint Patty too. Well, that's that we said she looked like Peppermint Patty, but she had the attitude of Lucy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Oh, those fun times. God, that was forever ago. Was it 2013? It was. Yes. Yeah. So much fun. We'll have to do it again with with New England Angela, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And and New England discussers or New England listeners or New England, I don't know, New Englanders. Yeah. Yeah. Save the date. Possible future. We don't have a date, but save it anyway. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> keep, keep us in mind. <laughs> right. Okay. All right. So uh, let's go to this break and last thoughts and things we can't let go of after that. 
Find our podcast wherever it is you like to listen to your podcast shows. You can contact us directly by emailing us at demonsdiscuss at gmail.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail. Call us at 360-519-7836. Or you can reach us on SpeakPipe. And that is speakpipe.com slash demonsdiscuss. Now become a discusser. And how you do that is go to demonsdiscuss.com. Scroll down, fill out the little short form, name, email address, Fill out the code so we know you're not a spammer. Submit that and you'll be a discusser and we'll just get to discuss things. So do that. We embed a form on each and every one of the show notes so you can just fill that out too. That's an easy way to get a hold of us. And don't forget to visit our home base. That is demonsdomain.com. Everything we're doing, you'll find there, including our giveaways, our blog posts on the characters, on places. See everywhere Angela goes because she makes some trips, let me tell you. And we can't wait to hear from you. We'll see you on the internet. Oh, my last thought. The books have been out for three years. There's no such thing as a spoiler anymore. (laughs) 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 The book of life has been out for three years. You'll have to elaborate. Oh, my God. Somebody was posting spoiler alerts on book discussions for this series, and it's like posting a spoiler alert on a Sherlock Holmes story. It's been out in the world forever, people. It's not like the latest yeah, episode yeah. of Game of Thrones. What? What even? What? <laughs> It's just so something stupid. that sets me off. It's like, it just sets me off. It's yeah. like people, just because you're late, coming late to a book, not even this book series, but any book series. Yeah. You're, you're, like when the Habit movies came out. It's like you're... Don't tell me what happens. You're butting yeah. into a conversation someone started a long time ago. You can't just walk in and say, you all need to shut up now because I don't know what you're talking about. It doesn't work that way. No. I mean, form a book group with a whole bunch of people that have never read the book before and then do it that way. Or, or start- maybe you can pick up our read-alongs with uh, mm-hmm. our chapter discussions. You can do that. I have them separated on the website. So if you want to do that, you don't want spoilers. Although we do spoil a lot. Yeah, well, we do spoil a lot. Yeah, but yeah we maybe don't do that. We have, we have also <laughs> mentioned that we presume that you've already read the books. So I think yes. th- that's the spoiler alert already. If you haven't picked up the books and read them already, maybe you may want to wait off. Right. I just don't think it would be interesting to join a group or to follow a profile if I haven't read the books yet. Yeah, I just, I just don't get that either. But that's me. I don't. The way I think is if I read a book and I love it, I must find out everything about it. And that's when I seek out like minded people about this book that I have to talk about. So, yeah, the spoiler alert in the discussion group doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But, you know, who am I to judge? Whatever. Do what you want. But don't get mad when people spoil things for you. Angela, you have last thoughts? (laughs) Last thoughts. Um, (laughs) No, I'm good today. You're good. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. All right. I do have one last thought, Gene, and this is for you, Gene. For me? What, just for it was, me? It's just for you because Yay! it's a question I have for you. Okay. So when I edited the last episode, it was take 19. Uh-huh. I listened to a portion of it and was like, how did I let that fly by me? A part of uh, what you said was, I've witnessed squirrels' heads being bit off before. And why did that not even phase me? And I kept talking like, blah, blah. <laughs> Uh, whatever. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Where did she witness squirrels heads being <laughs> bit off before? <laughs> 
Bella liked the crunchy sweet to- snacks. <laughs> my my dear little sweet faced dachshund was we called her an ace because she had gotten her five squirrels and she liked to eat the heads okay. off. She would bite the heads off of them. She'd kill oh. them and eat the heads. So I'd have okay. headless squirrels laying around my backyard. <laughs> And that's the end of that story. <laughs> it wasn't nearly as interesting as it could have been. <laughs> I was thinking, what the hell kind of concert did she go to that people are biting hands off? <laughs> no, I never went to see Ozzy. No. <laughs> the surprisingly like, worst Ozzie... version of Ozzy Osbourne instead of Dance with Squirrels. That's what I was thinking. I was like, maybe somebody bites squirrel heads off and that's part of the show <laughs> that, that, was, that, was a, that was an old uh, Willie Nelson concert when he had way too much pot one night I don't know no oh gosh yeah um, that sounds like something when, Matthew McConaughey would have done back in the day when he was a naked bongo player <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> Yeah, I found that really, I was like, wait a minute, how did I let that go and not say anything about this in this episode? But I was like, you know what, I'll make it a last thought for the next one. So there it is. We got our answer. (laughs) So weird. So weird. Uh, (laughs) uh, That's all I had to talk about. (laughs) Um, oh, All Souls Con. Uh, we should mention that um, if you're interested in going to All Souls Con and see us at All Souls Con, because we'll be there. Um, <laughs> we will be a spectacle for sure. <laughs> not biting squirrel heads off. Or- <laughs> no, there will not be happening. There will not be enough well, that involved. No, no. Now that you bring up All Souls Con, that is definitely my last thought. That hotel looks fabulous. Oh, it's going count on Angela fabulous. to have a last thought, though. <laughs> I always say no, and then I sneak one in. Speaking of fabulous, they have a lovely, fabulous concierge named Travis, who is already Travis. a demon friend. Travis. Uh-huh. Travis, okay. Travis has got demon back. So I think Demon Demon Hour may end up being way fun. Thank you, Ter- okay, Travis. Good. We can't wait to meet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah but so the thank hotel you, is open in July. Yeah. R- rooftop bar, the the decoration, the, yeah. just everything looks exquisite. Oh, and, and apparently there is a patio off to the main floor bar, too. Excellent. With all kinds of plants and cozy hangout spots. Oh. Demons have options. You have a spot in mind? Okay, I'm I'm not going to... Don't spoil gonna, it for us. I'm not going to spoil the surprise, but I have several in mind. Okay, good, 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 good. So uh, let's throw out our bit of gratitude out to Travis. And I'm going to add on to that is uh, Kate, Root, Angela, Patricia, and last but never least, Stephen. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for participating. And um, one more... I want to thank Simon from Pippa. And for you guys that don't know, we just changed media hosts. And I'll go into a brief explanation. Media host is a place where we upload our files so you can download the podcast episodes and listen through iTunes, Stitcher, wherever. Uh, we had a change of media host and he was able to help us through it and support us. And we're not paid to mention him, but he did such a great job. I figure I wanted to thank him out loud. So thank you, Simon. Yay. Thank another you, Simon. Demon, Yay, Simon. Another demon friend. Yay. And I think that's it, guys. I think we're good. All right. So goodbye. Goodbye, demon kiss. Bye, Angela.
Jeez. Oh, geez. <laughs> Jean, Jean's always the last. Jean wraps it up with a kiss. I figured I missed the boat. <laughs> Bye, Bye, everyone. Demon kiss. <laughs> there, you can edit oh, out the other one. This time, lovely. Yes. No, no, I'm leaving it in. It's going to be great. Two kisses. <laughs> so much better. Cheek kisses as opposed Bye, to audience. French kisses. Bye. Mm. <laughs> Bye. Bye.